0: Glory to the labor, comrades, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight's a tale of rabbits, paranoia, and unidentified flying objects. I Investigate UFO Crashes, We Are All in Danger, was originally released November 30th of 2021, and is read to you tonight by Sean Broder, with musical backing by Carl Casey of White Bat Audio and A Dark Side of Music. This is the final tale in the standalone section of stories from the United People's Institute of Science. Worry not, though. Starting this Tuesday, chapters of an eight-part novella connected to the will start to release. Make sure to subscribe to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams so you don't miss any of the episodes of the journals from the Institutes read by yours truly. With all that said, put on your tinfoil hats. They're watching.
1: trust the government never did folks talk about how we're in a democracy how we the people make the decision of state but if that were true then it wouldn't be a pitch perfect correlation between campaign financing and successful elections our politicians are dependent on the money of the lobbyists who in turn suckle at the teat of a corporate superorganism the mindless hierarchy of multi-conglomerates doesn't care about sustainability or justice it cares about profits. Every election is just set dressing for the next four years of quarterly reports. I don't trust the government to govern. I trust them even less about UFOs. The government is here to sustain the status quo. Why would they ever be honest about something that would shake our society at its foundation? Why would it ever admit that we are not the only form of intelligent life in this universe? Roswell, Kexburg, Westfall, a thousand others. Why would the corporate puppets ever give us a real explanation? Why would the government ever treat us like reasonable adults? That's why I live in a cabin. As far away from the tax man as I can. That's why I keep an eye on the sky. I moved out here to keep them accountable. I always thought that once I would catch the powers to be in a lie, I would get some answers. Not just for me, but for all of us. And now that I have, Now that I've finally unearthed the conspiracy, I I don't feel any joy or clarity. After what I lived through this week, I feel genuine fear. I don't trust the government to govern, and I certainly don't trust them to contain the horrors that i found. It started as most crash reports do. on the message boards. Those among us that watched the sky and those among us that watched the social feed found something in common. The sky watchers located two explosions high up on the edges of Earth's atmosphere. The newsfolk noticed a strange amount of chatter coming out of Central Asia. It didn't take long for the stories to stick together. Two objects were launched into space from some old science facility in the post-Soviet republics. Presumably, they were shot down by the powers that be before they could get to where they were going and the debris was left to fall back to Earth. There was absolutely zero mention of this on the news, and that's the way these things usually go. The corporate elite wouldn't let information like this slip. They wouldn't want independent minds venturing out to see the remains of the unidentified flying objects that were shot down. That's where the message boards come in. With a general idea of the launch site and triangulated reports of where the objects were shot down, we managed to put together a rough map of where the remnants of the wreckage would land. The objects were shot high enough in the air to spread most of the debris into space, but a couple dozen chunks were destined to fall to the ground. All it took was a map and some math to figure out where the space debris was destined to land. It wasn't the first time that something was meant to have crashed in the woods which surround my cabin and with that being the case, I kept my expectations low. I took my shotgun and a couple extra shells with me. If I wasn't going to find any government secrets, I could at least catch myself a rabbit or two. In the 10 years that I stayed in this cabin, I've only returned with rabbits. I don't have particularly high expectations to find anything else. The whole trip was just a nice walk in the woods until I saw signs of impact. It wasn't far off the trail. A couple broken trees and some torn up bushes pointed the way. The closer I got, the more... um, The air smelled like burnt meat. I had finally found something the government was hiding from me. A chunk of what seemed to be a rocket. The metal was singed with re-entry burns, but bits of paint were still intact. The rocket was originally bright red. Off the edges of the paint I could spy the beginning of a star and sickle, yet I could also spy something else, a different shade of red. From beneath the rocket a heavy trail of blood led into the forest. I documented the wreckage to the best of my abilities. The closer I got with the camera, the more I could see the blood wasn't coming from something beneath the wreckage. It came from inside the metal casing. Once I had gotten adequate evidence that the Soviet rocket chunk had indeed crashed into the forest 30 years after the Cold War ended, I flipped the debris over. The smell of burnt flesh grew tenfold. On the inside of the rocket, there were chunks of what seemed like burnt steak. Around the bits of meat like tendrils or arteries. Small indentations into the metal spread from the spots where the black meat sat. I took pictures of the other side of the rocket chunk. Then I followed the bloody trail. I was far too excited. My whole life I'd been waiting to find a UFO and... Even though finding a secret Soviet rocket chunk was not the same thing, it was the next best thing. For ten years, I was certain that the elite was hiding something from me. I have never doubted it. But now I had evidence. After a life of being called crazy, I was finally vindicated. I was finally happy. Not once did I question whether following the trail of blood was a good idea. The crimson marks started to grow sparse. but fresher. They led me to a rabbit burrow coated with blood. My phone's flashlight didn't reveal anything other than wet dirt. I knew better than to stick my hand in the hole. Instead I walked over the burrow and stomped. Sometimes wounded animals get panicked enough to escape their hiding spots when they feel endangered. I figured that whatever was hiding inside of the hole might do the same. The ground beneath me rumbled ever so gently. Something was moving in the burrow. I trained my shotgun to the exit. Of course I would prefer to catch whatever was hiding in the hole alive, but I wasn't going to let it get away. Dead or alive, it would serve as evidence that me and other people like me are not insane. I stomped again. More rustling from beneath my feet. Something was trying to get out. I stopped once more. A head popped out of the hole. At first sight, the creature looked like an oversized rabbit with bloated skin and mangled fur. Yet the moment the creature turned to face me, I knew I was dealing with something well outside the realm of animals. Two mismatched black eyes stared at me from a bloody snout. Three long strands of pulsing flesh hung from its mouth. The creature leaped at me with a throaty growl. I filled its face with buckshot. The horrid rabbit was propelled backwards by the blast. The creature looked like a Play Doh model put together by an infant. Its long, mismatched limbs twitched on the forest floor. My shot was straight. I was pretty sure the beast was on its way out. I lowered my shotgun. Suddenly, the animal was on its feet. A face of blood and raw flesh stared back at me with uneven eyes. Before I could even lift my gun, the creature was in the air. Those three long strands of flesh met my right shoulder like a dagger. They went straight to the bone. The raw pain surging through my body that made the world a burning blur. Yet the pain helped in a way. It triggered the thousands of dollars worth of survival classes I had taken. In one swift motion I pulled the shotgun to my right shoulder and hooked my numb fingers over the trigger. The creature flew once more, but when it hit a nearby tree it went completely limp. My right hand was numb, but with the cocktail of adrenaline and agony burning through my body I somehow managed to eject the shells and plant new ones. I shot the limp body of the malformed rabbit one more time, just in case. It didn't move again. The last thing I wanted to do was to call the police. The message boards were considerably more trustworthy and organized. Yet phone data so far from 5G towers is a rarity. The closest internet connection was back in my cabin. Not wanting to leave the mess of foreign life unguarded, I called the only number my phone was able to call. At first I thought my phone simply didn't work, I couldn't hear anything from the other side. That's when I realized there was blood coming out of my right ear. The shotgun blast had incapacitated the rabbit, but it had also knocked out half of my hearing. There was a bit of blood on the screen, but when I switched the phone over to my left ear I could hear the dial tone reasonably well. The police were not helpful. It took them an hour passed me along to someone who didn't think I was crazy. The moment I started talking about the remnants of a Soviet-era rocket, however, my phone journey quickened. I was connected to a man who didn't introduce himself or ask for details about my finding. He simply said he would send a retrieval team over as soon as possible. When I asked him if he needed my coordinates... He told me my phone would give him all the information he needed. Then he hung up. The creature was moving again. The movement was much less pronounced than before. I didn't notice it until I hung up the phone. But like wet clay squeezed into a rabbit skin, the flesh of the creature started to slowly seep out. I unloaded another blast into the creature and refilled the cartridges. It stopped moving, for a while at least. There weren't enough shells in my jacket to make me feel safe. There wasn't any amount of ammo in the world that would make me feel safe. For hours I sat with the creature, shooting it whenever the flesh started to bubble once more. The intervals between the movement grew longer and longer, yet that didn't change the fact that the beast refused to die. Blood from my ear started to spill to my shoulder, yet there was no wound where the rabbit had bitten me. My clothes were torn, yet the skin where the rabbit's fleshy teeth cut to my bone looked untouched. I decided not to worry myself about the wound. I decided only to worry about the mass of invincible flesh that was bubbling before me. I emptied my last shell into the creature just as the sun was setting. By then it looked less like an animal and more like ground beef rolled around in a helping of blood and twigs. My nerves were starting to get the better of me. I was starting to consider running back for more ammo or abandoning the abomination of flesh entirely that's when they showed up. With flashlights beaming from their heads, they made their way through the coming darkness. There were three of them. Two wore rifles around their shoulders and the third carried some sort of glass box. The moment they saw me, they raised their weapons. Their voices were not calm. Seeing that mass of flesh made them just as nervous as I was. The spook with the glass box went around containing the creature but my attention was wrapped up in the guns. I dropped my empty shotgun. This gesture of goodwill did nothing to appease the government men. They argued amongst themselves in hushed voices, yet voices I could hear regardless. One of them was insistent on me being shot. I saw too much. I knew too much. The other refused to execute a civilian. It pains me to say this, but I begged. I had moved away from civilization so I could live free without the government's hands in my business. Yet, I ended up begging those jackboot enforcers of the status quo to let me live. The merciful one took away my phone and made me promise I would never tell anyone about what I had seen. I knew I would be writing a report on the message boards the moment I came home. But it wasn't until the hazmat troops started to leave that I decided to inform the wider public. I told them about the other impact sites we had mapped out. I warned them of the danger of those flesh creatures going unchecked. They ignored me. They simply thanked me for my service to my community and left. The beasts of flesh stirred in the glass container as they walked away. After seeing that mess of arteries and blood I had trouble sleeping. Whatever that thing was, it wasn't something that was meant for human eyes. A persistent, throbbing pain in my right shoulder has also made things difficult. Yet the thing that makes sleep impossible the most is thoughts of the future. I've tried reaching out. I've tried setting them the map of potential impact sites, but no one will listen to me. Even the message boards unlocked. mocked. Without proper evidence of what I had found, only select few are willing to listen to me. Yet it's not the disbelief of others that's keeping me awake, it's thoughts of the future. It's thoughts of dozens of strands of flesh crashing down onto our planet unchecked. I don't trust the government, and I never have. I don't trust them to govern, and I... I certainly don't trust them to contain the beings of flesh that have fallen from the sky.
0: The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Condorg, Chicken Mixer, Daniel Wengel, and Mr. Creepy Pasta. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J Langer. That's all for tonight, comrade. See you here next episode for the first chapter of the Journals from the Institute. Glory to the labor.